Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Nonprofit Coach with Ted Hart. The most listened to internet radio show in the nonprofit sector. Dedicated to helping your charity succeed. It's no secret that combining online and offline techniques is the key to modern-day fundraising success, and practical advice is what you need. The Nonprofit Coach with Ted Hart is the perfect landing point to learn from experts around the world who provide advice you can use. Ted Hart is without a doubt one of the foremost nonprofit thought leaders. Also a successful author, his books range from successful online fundraising to the use of social media and how to make your nonprofit green. Guests on The Nonprofit Coach are leaders in their field who share tips and trade secrets for nonprofit management and fundraising success. Ted lectures around the world, but now he's here for you. From the latest in charity news, technology, fundraising, and social networking, Ted and his guests help you and your organization move to greater levels of efficiency and fundraising success. This is a live call-in show. Add your voice by calling 347-324-3080. After the show, you can find all our podcasts at tedhart.com. Click on Radio. Don't forget to dial 347-324-3080. Now, welcome the host of The Nonprofit Coach, Ted Hart. And welcome to this latest edition of The Nonprofit Coach. Thank you for joining us uh, today. Uh, Today is September 17th, 2013. We've got a very full show for you here today. Uh, And we're going north of the border for our uh, page two expert. Uh, We will have Mark Blumberg, who is not only an expert in Canadian law, but also international grant making, and uh, he will be our page two expert today. Uh, Don't forget, as the announcer just mentioned, you can call in when we get to our page two expert and ask questions at 347 Three two four thirty eighty. You can also join us over in the chat room. I see a number of folks already over in the chat room. You can ask questions there, or you can email me your questions at tedhart at tedhart.com. As always here on the Nonprofit Coach, we start with page one news. You can follow along with the radio links by going to tedhart.com and click on radio links. You'll not only find all the links for today's show, but all of our archived best links of the Internet for Nonprofit Organizations uh, for the last couple of years. First up here today comes to us from Google for Nonprofits. Over in the radio links today, you will find tips for nonprofits on Google Analytics. Uh, this is a very good uh, video, not too long, give you some good information, uh, how to Q&A on how to make Google Analytics work for you. 
Next up here on the Nonprofit Coach, over in the radio links, uh, you will find seven things you didn't know that Bitly could do for you. Now, this comes to us from Mashable. Uh, most of you are probably familiar with uh, Bitly as uh, the uh, uh, website where you can go and uh, shorten very long links for your Twitter accounts. Uh, 140 characters in Twitter, of course, are very precious. Nobody wants to waste valuable Twitter type on extra long hyperlinks, and that's why short link generators like Bitly are indispensable to Twitter to make sure that you can link to your favorite um, uh, websites. Uh, but there are other things that uh, Bitly can uh, do and will do for you. Uh, I thought I would mention a few of those uh, for you today. One is also monitor stats. Um, so how many links or how many hits are you getting on that new uh, Bitly um, short link? Um, you can also personalize those links. So not only uh, will it shorten it for you, but you can also personalize uh, that link. Uh, and uh, there's seven tips over from uh, Mashable on how you can more effectively use Bitly in your Twitter account. So uh, make sure that you check that out over in the radio links today at tedhart.com. Now, I've got a good friend of the show uh, coming on here on page one. Uh, Melanie Mathos uh, comes to us uh, from the fine folks at Blackbaud. Uh, Melanie, welcome here back to the Nonprofit Coach. Thanks for having me, Ted. Well, you've got some exciting news uh, about BBCon 2013. Uh, we want to make sure that all of our listeners know that they can register to attend uh, BBCon 2013. We do have a link over in the radio links. This will take place in Washington, D.C. at the National Harbor from September 29th to October 1st. But you've got some uh, uh, late-breaking news uh, today that you can share with my listeners. So take it away, Melanie Mathos. Sure. We have a, a lot of exciting news. Uh, the first piece is that we are going to be offering uh, listeners of the Nonprofit Coach a special discount for BBCon. So if you go to bbconference.com and register with the discount code TEDHART, uh, you'll get $125 off of registration. Wow, $125. Now, that's Ted Hart. So if you can't remember that, my website is tedhart.com. The discount code is very easy. It's Ted Hart. So you can go right to the radio links today, which will take you to bbconference.com. You can use that radio link to save some real money. Now, why would someone want to go to BBCon? Well, it's our 14th annual conference, and we have about uh, 2,000 attendees that join us each year. And BBCon has really transformed into what was traditionally a Blackboard-focused user conference into a full-blown nonprofit technology conference. So we have a ton of thought leadership sessions and best practices from some of the leading nonprofit professionals and uh, experts like yourself around the world. And we also have uh, two wonderful keynotes this year. Uh, the other piece of exciting news is one of our keynotes, Jim Zilkowski, uh, the founder and CEO of Build On, is going to be on the Today Show tomorrow morning launching his new book uh, at the oh, 8 a.m. hour. So if you want a little preview of what's in store, you can uh, check that out tomorrow morning. And then he's going to be uh, going right from the Today Show to BBCon. So that's uh, uh, that's a great win for you folks and a, and a nice plus to uh, uh, to BBCon this year. Now, uh, we've got uh, some news here uh, regarding the nonprofit coach and our connection for the nonprofit coach to BBCon. Why don't you uh, give my listeners a uh, heads up on that? 
Definitely. So we're excited to have you involved as a media partner on several levels. Uh, we're going to be keeping you busy on Tuesday, October 1st with your uh, speaking session, Online Strategies, Tools, and Trade Secrets at 1045, immediately followed by uh, a live broadcast of the show from BBCon at 1230. So we're really excited to have you on site in our marketplace, and I know attendees always enjoy listening in. So thanks for joining us again this year. Well, we're honored to uh, to be back. We've been doing this for uh, the last few years, live from BBCon. Uh, we'll be the nonprofit coach uh, radio show on October 1st. Uh, now, just for my listeners, and we do have this uh, uh, in our newsletter and in our uh, radio links for um, the schedule of the show, it is a special 90-minute edition of the nonprofit coach. We do start a half hour later. I believe the show is starting at 12.30 p.m. Eastern, which probably has something to do with my uh, lecture at BBCon and making sure I, can, uh, uh, I won't have to be in two places at the same time. Uh, but we'll start the show at 12.30, and we will go for 90 minutes. And you're going to have quite a lineup of luminaries from BBCon on the show. We do. Uh, we've definitely arranged some of our best speakers to join you uh, to talk about multi-channel engagement strategies, uh, our peer-to-peer -peer fundraising benchmark, which is always interesting. Uh, and then Jana Eggers, our uh, Senior Vice President of Products, is going to provide an update and roadmap on where we're going from a technology perspective. And then I and know I another one of your on, favorite uh, topics. Yeah, I really like having Jenna on the on the the show. She just is not only very smart, but very succinct in helping people understand the, uh, the strategies going on at BlackBot. Um, so uh, you're going to be back next week with uh, further updates from BBCon. Uh, so just remind everybody of the discount code and how much they'll save uh, when they go to bbconference.com. Sure. So registration is open for 10 more days, and you can go to bbconference.com to register with the special discount code TEDHART and you'll get $125 off registration, and that includes all of our networking events, 170 educational sessions, two keynotes. It's going to be a great time. And it just happens to be a, a terrific time to be in our nation's capital. So I encourage all my listeners uh, to consider attending BBCon. I'd like to meet you uh, personally, and you'll get an opportunity to actually watch a live production of the Nonprofit Coach radio show. So, Melanie, we'll chat again next week. Okay, fantastic. Thanks so much. Again, that was Melanie Mathos from uh, uh, BlackBot here speaking about and giving details on BBCon 2013. So make sure that you save some money, $125. is pretty good savings off from the uh, registration for BBCon just by using the discount code Ted Hart. Uh, next up here on uh, the Nonprofit Coach uh, comes to us from uh, over on YouTube, but it actually comes to us from GuideStar. Uh, and we're going to take a little bit of a listen here uh, to a new offering uh, coming to us from GuideStar. Americans donate $300 billion to nonprofit organizations every year. Our Money for Good research shows that every year donors are willing to shift up to $15 billion to high-performing nonprofits. That means millions of donors are looking for where their money will do the most good. How do we get a larger share? Your best chance to capture a share of these dollars is a three-stage process. When researching a nonprofit, donors want to understand the full story of what you do and the impact you are having. To do that, collect the information that helps you explain the difference you are making. Then, communicate your story in a way that reassures donors that you use their money wisely 
and are indeed having an impact. An easy way to do this is to share third-party accolades. How do we know what motivates our donors? By getting to know them. Donors fall into six main types. If you identify your main donor types, you can better tailor your messages to connect with your donors. To get started, download our free guide, More Money for More Good. In it, you will find 10 tips to help make your organization more effective, increase your available funds, and help advance the sector. And the uh, guide starts More Money for More Good uh, download is available today in the radio links here on the Nonprofit Coach. Go to tedhart.com and you'll be able to receive that. Also, a heads up, we will um, have uh, a guest from GuideStar here with us on next week's show for the GuideStar Minute. They're here with us each month with updates from GuideStar, and they will be giving you a little bit more information about the GuideStar More Money for More Good download that's available to you. Uh, next up here on the Nonprofit Coach is a new friend, um, a uh, New opportunity for us to have an uh, expert here on the Nonprofit Coach. Um, in this case, uh, today joining us from John Wiley & Sons is a new guest uh, host here on the Nonprofit Coach. Bill Falloon is joining me. He's the executive editor for John Wiley & Sons, working with authors in the Wiley Nonprofit Authority series. In addition, uh, other authors in finance, investment, trading, and entrepreneurship. Prior to joining Wiley 12 years ago, he was a senior editor at Risk Magazine, a leading London-based publication specializing in financial risk management. He's the author of two books himself, uh, and he is here with us on The Nonprofit Coach. He'll be with us each month uh, introducing us to the AFP Wiley radio show guest, uh, and next week is the AFP Wiley Radio Show here on the Nonprofit Coach. Welcome here, Bill Falloon. Uh Thanks very much, Ted. Really enjoy uh, the, the invite. Bill, it's great to have you with us and certainly the partnership uh, with uh, uh, Wiley Books and our opportunity to draw attention to the wonderful authors and new books that you folks uh, have over at Wiley. Next week is our monthly AFP Wiley radio show here on the Nonprofit Coach. Uh, who have you got lined up for that show? Um, Ted, it's a pleasure to introduce uh, Susan Raymond and her book to you. Um, I'm not sure that Susan really needs any introduction at all. She's the um, Executive Vice President for Research and Analytics at Changing Our World, uh, a nonprofit consulting firm. Um, she's also on the advisory board of the Center for Global Prosperity in Washington, D.C. And uh, just to add to the list of accolades, she was appointed to the board of the Civilian Research and Development Foundation by the director of the National Science Foundation. Um, really excited to be introducing uh, her book, Recession, Recovery, and Renewal, Long-term nonprofit strategies for rapid economic change. Uh, the book really shows nonprofits how to adapt their management programs, skills, leadership, and governance uh, to rapidly and changing economic environments. As we all know, the uh, uh, the global recession and the economic recession in the states has 
had a huge impact on all businesses, including uh, nonprofits. Um, this book is really a practical guide on how to pay attention to economic indicators and um, adapt accordingly uh, and react uh, before the, uh, the world gets you. And it's really uh, about how to improve your funding strategy as a nonprofit. Um, Susan's all about sharing the best survive and succeed strategies for nonprofits, and I'm sure everybody's really going to enjoy her new book and the interview with you. This is really a terrific opportunity and very, very timely for Wiley to bring this book out. Susan uh, is truly a luminary in the nonprofit sector and brings serious-minded research uh, to important topics of, of this sort. So this is not just a uh, from the gut or this is how I would do it uh, sort of book. This is a, a well-thought-through, well-researched book, of course, and that's what Susan does uh, for a living, and she's uh, among the very best in doing that. So uh, really a fantastic choice. It's going to be a, a really, really good show next uh, next week. And a great way, I think, um, uh, to kick off the AFP Wiley uh, Fall Series here on the Nonprofit Coaches. We're just coming back from uh, summer hiatus. So uh, Bill Falloon. Great to have you now joining us. You'll be our official uh, guest host uh, here each month as you introduce uh, the lineup of fantastic authors that you bring from uh, John Wiley and Sons uh, from the AFP Wiley series. Uh, so thank you again for uh, coming on the show, and we'll catch up with you next month. Okay, Ted. Uh, always a pleasure, and uh, thanks for the invite again. You bet. And uh, everyone, don't forget we do have a link uh, to the John Wiley and Sons website. So you can go and check out all the nonprofit books, uh, including uh, Susan Raymond's new book uh, that will be highlighted here on the Nonprofit Coach next week. Uh, wrapping up page one news uh, here is uh, one of the big topics we get questions about uh, is what about tablets? We obviously know about laptops and desktops, but what about tablets? So many different options out there, and how do you make a wise choice uh, between uh, iPads and Androids and, and now Google uh, uh, and uh, Microsoft Surface, so all these different options. We have a link to you. Um, this comes to us from the Yahoo Small Business Advisor uh, to help you choose the tablet that suits you. So find that over in the radio links at uh, tedhart.com. And with that, it is now my pleasure uh, to bring here on to the Nonprofit Coach Show, Mark Blumberg. Mark Blumberg is my guest here on the Nonprofit Coach, page two guest expert. He's a partner at Blumberg and Siegel in Toronto and works almost exclusively in the areas of nonprofit and charity law. He has a Bachelor of Arts degree from the University of Toronto and a Bachelor of Laws from the University of British Columbia uh, and also a Master of Laws from the Osgood Hall Law School in Tax Law. Uh, he is well-known uh, throughout uh, Canada and beyond Canada. Uh, he's not only an expert in nonprofit law, but also uh, an expert in international giving uh, from Canada. Mark is quoted regularly in print media and appears frequently on radio and television on the topics related to philanthropy and regulation of charities in Canada. And welcome here non to the nonprofit coach, uh, Mark Blumberg. How are you? Uh, doing great, Ted. Thank you very much for having me. 
Well, Mark, it's great to have you here, and uh, Canada is a very important philanthropic uh, community, one that is growing and one that is changing. Uh, so to have the opportunity to have an expert like yourself here on the Nonprofit Coach is not only important to our Canadian listeners, but also important to philanthropists and nonprofits around the world who may want to in, uh, be introduced in Canada, but also may want to have uh, donors have interest uh, in them from Canada. So why don't we start off a little bit more about your expertise and help fill us in to um, how is it that you became one of the foremost experts in Canadian law, but also in international giving uh, from Canada? Well, I'm not sure if I'm foremost expert, but what I'll tell you is in terms of the background, uh, the area in Canada is a little bit less developed than in the U.S. in terms of um, both the legal area and also in, in terms of fundraising. So uh, when I got involved about 15 years ago, I saw some huge gaps, and uh, one of the big gaps, for example, was on uh, international grant making. So I prepared a website, globalphilanthropy.ca, where I tried to encourage Canadian charities to do more international work. And you know, around the world, there's been a lot of interest in international work. So uh, in just the Canadian example, we've gone from spending about a billion dollars abroad about 10 years ago to spending about $3 billion a year uh, last year. So there's been a tremendous increase. And with private foundations that do um, international philanthropy, the, the amounts of money spent by them uh, as, in terms of the international has gone up as well. So I've just got involved uh, essentially in um, you know where the needs are. Uh, this last year in Canada, political activities were quite a big issue. So consequently, I've um, been doing a lot of work in that area of political activities. Other areas right now that are quite hot are some of the corporate areas affecting charities because there's a lot of corporate changes going on in Canada at the moment affecting nonprofit entities as well as charities. Terrific. And I did want to let uh, our listeners know that we have provided a link in the radio links today uh, directly to globalphilanthropy.ca, which is uh, your website, as you said, specifically uh, geared towards encouraging uh, international giving uh, from Canada. That has really been an area of great growth and certainly um, one of the reasons why you and I have uh, come into association with each other as the CEO at CAF America uh, we have a great deal of interest in philanthropy throughout North America. Uh, we grant into Canada on a regular basis and are now uh, looking for ways to help uh, good-willed philanthropists in Canada be able to support charities that, uh, that they would like to support around the world. You said that the Canadian um, philanthropic marketplace, less developed than the United States, but certainly rapidly in growth uh, and changing uh, all the time. What is, um, and, and that in, in my mind has is, is really taken off the last 10, 15 years. Um, why, why sort of this, uh, this late decade um, rapid growth in philanthropy in Canada? Was something changed about the law or the interest? Well, basically, um, it's not necessarily a bad thing. Um, I would say oh, that essentially. Uh, well, no. It, it, what I mean is, the, uh, not having a very well developed philanthropic sector is not necessarily a bad thing. It depends how you look at it, right? Okay. Um, the Canadian government has been very supportive of the charitable sector. So, just to give an example, right now. If you take all of the Canadian charities, the hospitals, the universities, social welfare, international development, you take it all together, the federal, provincial, municipal governments provide 70% of their funding. Okay, So consequently, because they provide such a large amount of the funding, 
um, the room, the need, if you will, for the philanthropic side is, is a little bit less than in the United States, where I understand your governments give a lot less in terms of funding. So, for example, um, when it comes to, um, you know, the um, the areas now where governments have either been cutting back, uh, there is a greater need for philanthropic uh, giving, but um, also uh, essentially if one would talk 70% is uh, from government, about 25% is earned income, social enterprise, charging, tuition, things like that, and philanthropy is only about 5% of that total uh, amount. Uh, so the amount in terms of philanthropy will increase, the sophistication of which it's practiced here in Canada will increase, um, but um, I think we actually have a very good uh, sort of system and situation here in Canada where many charities can rely on pretty consistent uh, government support for what they're doing, obviously not all charities, um, and in it, that is supplemented by uh, philanthropic funds. And increasingly, as the needs are there and government is not prepared to fund certain things, uh, philanthropy becomes uh, even more important. And of course, there are many types of organizations that government wouldn't fund. Right. And what about the, the regulation side or tax deductibility of of uh, giving in Canada? Is that is that different than the United States? Is it um, more difficult to qualify for uh, a tax deduction of a gift? Well, um, in the U.S., um, I think uh, the IRS registers a lot more as a percentage of the applications than we do here in Canada. But a large part of that is just the function of you have to get the application done in a particular format and with the appropriate information and the things like that. Um, but uh, <clears throat> in terms of the... Uh, the current climate in Canada, um, I think we probably have about the most generous uh, tax incentives of any country in the world. Uh, right now, I'll just give an example. If a wealthy Canadian gives $100 million to a Canadian charity and they do it through you know, appreciated marketable securities, so donation of public company shares, uh, they could potentially have a tax benefit of up to 65%. Uh, so in a normal cash donation, you're looking at about a 50% tax benefit. So very generous tax incentives. They can carry it forward up to five years. They can eliminate up to 75% of their uh, income. Um, so very um, positive environment in terms of giving uh, in Canada at the moment. And, um, you know, uh, we don't have the same debate that I understand has been going on in the States with respect to um, potentially capping or limiting uh, the uh, amount of uh, benefits that people get from uh, donations. So it, all it in all, it seems to be a regular yeah. political football to talk about uh, uh, those changes uh, in in the United States. However, we do have a, a long-standing tradition of, of support uh, for philanthropists in the United States. So uh, those of us in the sector are certainly hoping that. Uh, those calls for changing the kinds of incentives that makes it possible to fund uh, particularly programs for the most needy, uh, but also, as you pointed out, those things that government chooses not to fund for whatever reason, uh, often we do look to philanthropists to make up that, that difference. And uh, sometimes those incentives make uh, make a bit of a difference in terms of how much people give. So for for Canadians, um, the the fact that government uh, does fund a fair amount of uh, nonprofit or charitable work in Canada that in and of itself has been been changing particularly uh, in the, the healthcare sector and others um, and have Canadians grown to uh, have an increased interest in supporting those projects that were once funded by uh, government or is there a general sense that they should still be funded by government? 
Well, I, I think um, in any area you look at uh, healthcare, for example, um, the amount of money that has been spent continues to increase. Um, it's just a matter of, however, the needs continue to increase. So, um, and also there are certain things the government will fund. There are other things they may not be prepared to fund. And um, many philanthropists are interested in seeing change and they want to see it happen quicker than uh, perhaps would be uh, the case if they were not supporting a particular charity um, are quite uh, eager to, to get involved. So there's no question there's been increase in uh, interest in philanthropy in Canada. And um, and luckily we haven't yet, although you know I'm crossing my fingers on this, seen massive uh, government cutbacks in terms of the philanthropic sector. And also we didn't have um, any decline really when we had the um, you know 2008, 2009, the economic downturn. There wasn't any decline in giving in Canada. So all in all, the Canadian uh, nonprofit charity sector is doing quite well. Um, but obviously we want more resources to be able to deal with more things and. Uh, and that means encouraging more donors to to give more. In a, in a healthy uh, nonprofit sector, is are you seeing a trend of more uh, new charities being created? And are there any trends in the types of charities that are being created? Yes, I would say it's probably similar to the U.S. in that regard. We, um, but smaller numbers, obviously. We have about almost 3,000 new charities coming on the scene every single year that are registered charities with the Canada Revenue Agency. So we have a constant number that are coming in. We have some that are not uh, anymore going to be registered charities, largely because they don't do their filings. Um, and I understand you guys have that three-year filing requirement now. If you don't file within three years, we've always had a one-year filing requirement. So if you don't file you will, after a period of eight months or a year, you'll basically be removed as a charity. Uh, so, we, yes, we have new organizations coming in, in all the time. What's that? I, I believe that's that's policed pretty strictly in Canada. You miss those filings. Absolutely. And, and you will lose your uh, lose your, your status. What's, what's the um, – are there trends in terms of the types of charities that are being created in Canada? Oh, absolutely. There um, – First of all, um, one of the things I would say is um, about half our charities are religious, so there's a lot of religious uh, organizations that are, are setting up orga uh, organizations, less in the mainline sort of denominations, more uh, groups that come from other countries in some cases and, uh, and are not the traditional sort of uh, religious groups. Um, in terms of the areas of, for example, dealing with um, uh, hunger and poverty, things like that. Um, you have groups that are very much focused on certain social enterprise models that have been registered. Um, you have groups that are dealing with uh, education using, for example, technology and things like that. So it's uh, what you can see today is obviously a lot more diverse than what you would have seen 20 or 30 years ago. So there's no question. And, uh, you know, it's not just about money. Obviously, it's also about having a certain diversity, um, having organizations that are uh, prepared to have uh, some involvement in the political realm to they can't be involved in partisan politics, but they can, uh, you know, be involved with nonpartisan type activities, advocating for uh, changes in policy, things like that. So we have lots of organizations, whether it's uh, environmental organizations, organizations, uh, there's a lot of them being registered, as well as other areas, um, alternative uh, healthcare type uh, initiatives, etc. Canada is a very large country and uh, very diverse populations. Are there centers of, uh, of uh, philanthropy uh, in Canada as, as there are in the United States? 
yes, uh, the major cities uh, tend to have um, good representation in terms of uh, the number of charities. Um, as you get into rural areas and more north, um, one gets into situations where um, there are far fewer charities and often there aren't charities to deal with certain uh, issues. So uh, absolutely, there's that sort of a divide. Um, we have about 86,000 registered charities, but Canada is a big country. Um, it's a little bit bigger than the U.S. in terms of uh, geographic area. Um, and uh, so consequently, you know, for, for example, environmentalists, Canada is a very important country um, because uh, what happens in Canada can have a spillover effect, for example, into the U.S. or can just right. affect, uh, you know, the environment in the whole world. So uh, there is a lot of concern um, with respect to the environment here. But, yes, it does tend to be that in the large urban areas you're going to have a real um, great representation of charities and much less so as you start going away from them. Yeah. And that, and that's where uh, sometimes there can be uh, some dust-ups over the issue of advocacy. Uh, if I remember correctly, a, a, a year or so ago, there was a bit of a of a dust-up between the the government and some environmental groups uh, that they were at odds with each other as to whether or not it was a, a political activity or not. Um, so those those issues are monitored pretty pretty closely in Canada as well. Yeah, we had a bit, I guess dust up is a good way of putting it. Um, essentially, the conservative government was upset that some environmental groups were concerned about um, some pipelines that were being proposed to be built. Um, and I think, you know, uh, there were certainly some senators and others who, uh, we have an unelected senator here, um, who said certain outrageous things. Um, but essentially what it came down to was some people were complaining about environmental groups uh, that were essentially doing what their job is, is to uh, <laughs> to advocate to protect the environment. And, um, and so what the government did was basically allocate more money to do education about what charities can and cannot do in the political realm, as well as do more audits and uh, things like that. So um, what I can say is that with all of that uh, money allocated for extra review at the moment, only one Canadian charity has lost its charitable status for involvement with um, the uh, political uh, issues that were not appropriate. Um, others are being looked at. Um, it has created, a, you could say, a little bit of a chill. But on the other hand, as the Canadian government is spending time telling charities that they, in fact, are allowed to do political activities, they just have to keep it to no more than 10% of their resources, and it has to stay non-political. And those activities have to relate to the objects. So if you're environmental, then do environmental work. You know, stay away from abortion. You know, so you've right. got to stay with your objects. As long as you do that, charities are allowed to to uh, so spend money and resources. Expand those, those voices because now they, there's a more common understanding. So maybe a little bit of a solution in search of a problem. Well, I think uh, there was an overreaction, if you will, by some uh, members of parliament and others. And then when you look at the actual government response in the budget, et cetera, it was, you know, it, it sounded more like it was a lot of bark with no bite, really. So we'll, we'll see what happens. The story hasn't been uh, finally uh, written on it. But I would be quite confident that in the next few years, you'll probably have more Canadian charities involved with the area of, of allowable political activities. Because for many types of issues, as you know, Ted, you can't really achieve much by just fundraising to get money and then spending it on programs. You need to have governmental policy change. You need to have uh, government uh, put you know, real 
resources into certain uh, issues. So it's really important that charities be at the table on those political issues and not leave it to you know just business and other lobby groups to to be there. So charities have a role to play. They have to take it more seriously. They've got to get up to speed as to how you work the political system. They've got to put resources into it. And uh, so I think it's been a good wake-up call for the charity sector to now uh, be more serious about how they they interact with uh, government and uh, and political issues. That's great. We're going to take a, a very quick break here. When we come back, I do want to jump into your area of expertise related to global philanthropy in Canada, why that's growing, how it's growing, and um, how what nonprofits uh, should know about that. And we'll be right back here with Mark Blumberg on the Nonprofit Coach. Life gets busy. Wouldn't it be nice to have a central place where you could save what's on your mind? With Google Keep, you can stay on top of your world by quickly and easily organizing everything you want to remember. No matter where you are, finalize door list for Thursday's gig. So when you find inspiration, you can file away your ideas. And Google Keep stores them safely across all your devices. And when the time comes, you'll have everything covered. Save what's on your mind. Google Keep. Remember, our podcasts and archives are always available 24 hours a day at tedhart.com. Click on radio links. If you're listening live today, the phone lines are open. Call in and ask a question by dialing 347-324-3080. Now, back to the Nonprofit Coach with Ted Hart. And uh, we're back here live on the Nonprofit Coach with Mark Blumberg. And, Mark, before we get into the um, international giving and certainly your uh, your website, Global uh, Philanthropy, we do have an email question uh, from Jane, and she's asking the role of the CRA. Okay, so the CRA has a role. Uh, this is a Canada Revenue Agency. They have a small group within the Canada Revenue Agency called the Charities Directorate. It's about 250 people. And um, essentially, they are responsible for regulation of registered charities under the Income Tax Act. So if you just wanted to have a little church, it you know, could be considered a charity, but you don't want it to be registered. You don't want to issue receipts and, and all that stuff. That's one thing. But if you're a registered charity under the Income Tax Act, you can issue receipts, and um, then you will be under the purview of the Charities Directorate of the Canada Revenue Agency, and you have to file every year forms with them. And uh, they could audit you. They audit about 1% of charities per year. Um, and you can also go to them for advice and um, help with respect to certain issues. And, and what's the benefit of, of having that, uh, that approval? Uh, is it possible for, for charities to conduct business without CRA approval? Um, it is possible for an organization to do things that are like being a charity, okay? But technically, if you are a charity under the Canadian income tax system, you should either be a registered charity or you might be considered a for-profit entity. But we do have this large group of non-profits, but they're generally doing things like amateur sports or political parties, things like that. So essentially, everything in Canada is sort of divided into either you're a for-profit or you're a non-profit and within that nonprofit realm, there's a subgroup, which is essentially registered charities. Uh, 
And the big advantage of being a registered charity is the ability to issue uh, official donation receipts so that if someone gives you, say, $100, they'll get uh, you know, $40 or $50 tax benefit of that donation, whereas if they're not a registered charity, they would not get any tax benefit. So people could still make a charitable donation but not a tax-deductible charitable donation. Exactly. So, you know, when you think of crowdsourced uh, funding, uh, if people want to give $2 or $10, they may not really care if they get any benefit from it, which then means and, – and a lot of groups, uh, if you think of some of the uh, environmental groups like, you know, uh, Greenpeace, for example, they may wish to rather have more flexibility and not be, in fact, a registered charity. Um, and so, you know, if you're not a registered charity, you don't have to comply with certain rules relating to registered charities. And for some organizations, it's actually beneficial not to be a registered charity. And and so there are 86,000 Canadian registered charities uh, that people can give to and receive tax deductions. What about uh, Canadians who would like to give outside of Canada? What are the rules regarding that? So there are some categories. Um, the biggest one is that there are about 500 foreign universities that Canadian charities can give money to. These are foreign universities that have typically Canadian students studying at them and that have, they're on a list that this, they've, they basically made application and they're on a list. Okay, you, you went, went out just a little bit for us there. Oh, okay. There's Sorry, five, there's about 500, 500 foreign universities foreign universities that are prescribed foreign universities. So they are on a list and essentially Canadians can donate to those foreign universities in the same way as if they're donating to a Canadian charity. They're considered qualified donees and the person making the donation will get the same tax benefit. So for example, Harvard would be an example. If a Canadian donates to them, they would get the same tax benefit as if they gave money to the University of Toronto. Okay. okay. So that, and, that, those are qualified so donees abroad. Yes. Um, there's a small category that I'm hoping will take off. It only has about 10 charities, including, you know, Clinton's uh, charity on it. Um, it's sort of certain foreign uh, organizations that the Canadian government has made a gift to. And uh, they've reconstituted the category, and I'm sort of hoping that they will start on uh, some of the international development organizations that are doing some great work around the world and add them to the list. But the basic uh, point is if a Canadian wants to uh, give money to a foreign charity, whether it's in the U.S. or Costa Rica or wherever, they can do it. Um, there's really no restrictions on it, but they can't get the Canadian tax deductibility for that donation. What they can do, and it's not that different than, I guess, in some cases than what you do in America where you have an American Friends Of. So you can have a Canadian Friends Of institution here in Canada, which basically would uh, – be funding activities outside the country. It would do it itself. So it's, it's essentially the Canadian charities carrying out its own activities by hiring a group in the States or elsewhere to do work for the Canadian charity. So essentially, it's like a project funding of something, a distinct activity. It can also be that in some cases, you can have a joint venture where the Canadian charity is pooling money with a foreign entity. And um, as long as there's the appropriate amount of direction and control, uh, the Canadian government uh, has no problem with these Canadian, uh, you know, charities doing the foreign activity that, that they are doing. And as I mentioned just at the beginning, uh, we've gone from about 10 years ago, about a, just over a billion to just under three billion now of um, foreign activities. So the amount of foreign activities coming from Canada is increasing quite uh, substantially. Um, and this is all within the same rules. There hasn't really been any big changes to the rules over the last 10 or 15 years.
Okay. And that's uh, the three billion now. That's an incredible rate of growth. Um, and is most of that being given without tax deductibility? No, no, that's all being given with tax deductibility. Those are Canadian charities conducting foreign activities. So they get money in Canada, but some of the money comes from Canadian government, some of it comes from business, some comes from individuals. Um, the really interesting thing, which you have in the U.S. as well, but it's even more pronounced in Canada, is the remittance issue, which is you have Canadians sending money abroad to family and friends, um, and they get no tax benefit for that. But that in Canada is $15 billion a year. So just to make a comparison here, um, the Canadian charity spending abroad is about $3 billion. Canadians, who are typically quite poor, coming from foreign countries generally, who are sending money back to their family and friends, are sending $15 billion. So it's five times as much money. So that actually, that's, that's if you want to talk, if you yeah, if you want to talk impact, uh, it's huge, and there's no tax deductibility for it. There's no um, support given by the Canadian government, uh, that sort of thing. I think Canada is about the third largest remitter um, of any uh, of the countries in the world. Okay. So that's a, that's a great deal of interest in uh, in uh, activities outside of the Canadian border. Why why the interest of Canadians in those kinds of charitable activities? Well, I think it's probably similar to the U.S. in that um, often you can see that, you know, while there may be tremendous needs at home, there are huge, huge needs in other countries. Um, I just spent a week going around Poland and uh, visiting Holocaust sites and, you know, thinking about all the the problems of the Second World War, um, you know, there are places in Africa right now where, you know, there's genocide, there's places where there is, um, you know, starvation and other things. And, um, you know, small amounts of effort in many cases can save a lot of lives. So it, some people thinking in that way uh, are interested in it. Uh, sometimes international, it's based on um, you just want to get the best and brightest to be doing something. So if you're interested in, for example, uh, work on a particular type of research uh, to solve a medical problem, um, and there's, uh, you know, Hong Kong, there's a university there that's the best at it, well, then you're probably going to put your money towards that, right? Because so national boundaries are not that important anymore, and with the Internet and technology, it's easier to know what's going on around the world and communicate with people and things like that. So sometimes it's about getting better bang for your buck. Sometimes it's about doing the best thing. Um, you know, there's a lot of American environmental groups. I should mention that Canada gets about $900 million a year, largely from the United States in terms of Americans, uh, both foundations and individuals supporting Canadian charities. Um, so, and in fact, one of the, the big uh, hullabaloo about the whole political issue that we talked about earlier, a lot of it came from that some big American foundations were funding some of the political work that was going on here in Canada, and there was concern about that. But, you know, the way I see it is, um, you know, the American foundations have the uh, right to fund things that they want to fund, and, uh, and it's pretty smart to fund things uh, in the political realm. In some cases, you can get good bang for your buck. But uh, so, you know, there's many reasons like that. You also have Canada, just like the States, very multicultural and, uh, you know, people from different countries. Uh, most Canadians are, are not necessarily born here in Canada. They come from other places. They have families around the world. And uh, there's an interest in what's going on. And with the media today uh, covering things, obviously selectively, but they are covering things uh, that are going on in all sorts of different places, um, people are uh, gravitating to want to be able to do something and to be able to help. And um, so there's a tremendous amount of interest in local activities, but increasingly and uh, you know, quite a bit of interest in, in international. And I hope that that uh, continues.
so an increasingly international population has an international uh, interest in uh, charities around the world. Uh, so, Mark, thinking about the broad charitable sector in uh, uh, in Canada and, and from your your expertise of, of having legal background, what is often missed, opportunities that are missed or mistakes that are made uh, by charities? Well, in terms of, you know, what's missed, um, I guess if I was thinking in the fundraising realm, um, things like bequests are often not given much attention, and that can mean very significant money, often unrestricted funds coming into charities. I don't know that that's that different in the U.S., but I think we are even more behind the uh, the ball there. Um, in terms of uh, what's missed uh, in terms of the way Canadian charities spend money, I would say they probably don't spend nearly enough money on technology to take advantage of the improvements uh, and the uh, efficiency and effectiveness that can be gained by, by being more involved with technology. I think I saw a statistics in Canada which said that um, as a percentage, um, Canadian for-profit companies spend six times more than Canadian non-profits on technology. Uh, so, you know, that in terms of expenditures, I would say technology is something that's not uh, taken as seriously as it probably should be. Um, in terms of uh, getting back to that political issue, Canadian charities spend around 20 to 40 million on political activities a year. Um, but if we're allowed to spend 10% of our budget, which is over 200 billion, it means that we can actually spend uh, about 20 billion. So we're spending about 20 million. We could be spending 20 billion on political activities. So we could spend a thousand times more. So I certainly think Canadian charities should spend some more money, uh, not necessarily a thousand times, but maybe a few times what they are spending right now, because there are you know tremendous examples you can come up with where spending a million dollars on political advocacy can result in hundreds of millions of dollars worth of funding for an area or improvements or changes in policy that can be really dramatic. So, um, you know, that's an area that I think probably Canadian charities haven't uh, done as good a job as, as they should. Um, right now, there's a lot of scrutiny on fundraising costs and uh, and the effectiveness of fundraising. So that's uh, getting some charities into to some trouble. Um, but basically, um, you know, it, it, social enterprise and um, and earned uh, income type activities have increased quite a bit. And as I mentioned, that's about 25% uh, of the re revenue of Canadian uh, charities. So it's talked about a lot, but the reality is it's been around for a long time. It will continue to grow. Canadian charities are in a good place to be able to, to run some of those uh, business and earned income activities. They just have to, however, watch that they do it within the rules that are there um, for Canadian charities. There are some restrictions in terms of what they can do. But uh, yeah, and, I don't know if that answered but, your question, Ted. <laughs> well, no, it really did, but it, it also raised the the the, the issue of uh, uh, if they were spending more and if they were focused in their approach, uh, they might also attract uh, more members of government who understand the nonprofit sector and the value of the nonprofit sector, uh, rather than those that might uh, wish to make a punching bag out of it. No, absolutely. We have um, an interesting situation in, in Canada um, where um, even people who've worked in the nonprofit sector when they get elected uh, seem to forget a lot. And um, there are very few, for example, Canadian parliamentarians who are prepared to really stand up for the nonprofit sector. We had a debate, it was called C-470, which was a debate about uh, one private member had put forward a bill to say that all 
Canadian charities should be capped in terms of how much they could pay anyone. And she said the cap should be at $250,000. Now, you've just got to think for a minute here that universities and hospitals and all these institutions, they're, they're registered charities. So if a Canadian charity could not pay or a, a Philharmonic could not pay more than a certain amount, it basically um, would really hinder uh, their ability to get the talent that they need because often that talent is not it's not just you're looking for Canadians. You're looking for anyone around the world who's the best person to do the job, right? So, right. you know, try to find a neurosurgeon. Right. Try to find a neurosurgeon. Exactly. So it, it was just ridiculous. But it passed almost unanimously. And then... Uh, thankfully, a few years ago, there was an election, and before the election, then all the bills die, uh, and it hasn't been resurrected. But, uh, you know, when it comes to actually standing by the nonprofit sector and supporting it, um, in many cases, um, the politicians, they have very uh, slim understanding of the challenges that nonprofits have. Um, but, you know, the way I see it is it's a challenge. One has to then work with, uh, and I do a lot of work with uh, members of parliament, senators, and, and also the media to try and explain to them, you know, what are some of these challenges that, uh, that nonprofits and charities have uh, so that they can understand it more. Um, the amount of scrutiny that charities is getting is a lot more than it used to, and it, in my mind, will only get more. So it's about charities understanding that that is life. And when Canadian charities get, you know, over $130 billion worth of government money, they can't expect that it's somehow not going to be asked about, you know, there will be questions, and they need to be able to competently respond, they need to be transparent about what they're doing, they need to be prepared to be accountable, uh, and all those sort of things. And uh, if they're not, um, they're the esteem that the public has of charities will decline tremendously. One of the things that I'm quite happy with is that the public confidence in charities in Canada has stayed relatively stable at a very high level. It's about 77% say that they trust charities. Um, and, you know, that's something that is really important because it's very easy to lose that trust if you just have a few scandals and things like that. So it's very right. important is that, that... Is that um, sort of what you were saying in terms of uh, a maturing nonprofit sector and that there is still room for uh, for regulation that supports the sector but also understanding of the sector. Oh, absolutely. There's definitely uh, a need. Um, we're now, we just uh, replaced our federal uh, corporate law um, with an act that was from 1917. It was just replaced now. So it took 90 years to get the, the, the federal corporate, uh, uh, if you set up a federal corporation, um, you know, the act replaced. 90 years, that's a very long time. So there's often huge gaps in the regulation of charities in Canada because it just doesn't get the front page sort of attention. And um, yes, there could be more regulation that would be um, essentially to just prevent about a very small number of people, maybe 500 or 1,000 people who come up with very uh, scary schemes you know, to exploit the sector. Um, that would be a large part of why one needs some more regulation. But largely, one's always trying to balance having the ease of helping small nonprofits that are doing great work, that are all volunteer, etc., you know, um, not trying to impose too much obligations on them. But at the other end, always being in keeping in mind that there are huge uh, fiscal advantages given to charities by the ability to issue these official donation receipts and not to mention all the money they get from government and other sources. So to make sure that there's a necessary transparency, accountability, etc. there. And, um, and that's something that the Canada Revenue Agency, it only implements the rules, but the finance department basically comes up with them. And they've been in a very incremental way bringing in more regulations to respond to concerns, whether it be about terrorism 
or money laundering or uh, inappropriate um, you know activities of you know private foundations or whatever but I think it's uh, it has to always be a balancing act where one doesn't want to be imposing too many obligations on charities but at the same time you want to protect the name of the charity sector you want to protect the good work that legitimate charities are doing and not let a few bad apples get away with things and then it tarnishes the reputation of the sector. Exactly. Um, uh, Peter emails in asking if there are, I, I guess this must be a, a, a pickup on some of the things that you've been mentioning here, are there any new regulations the nonprofit sector is facing? Um, new regulations, um, well, every year there's a little bit that's new, but um, the reality is uh, there's very little that's new in Canada. Um, that wasn't around, you know, five or ten years ago. And I know that lawyers and accountants and others love to talk about what's new and, you know, recent developments. It sounds interesting. But practically speaking, no, there's not that much that's new here in Canada. Um, the, the rules, um, they're just little tweaks. Most of the changes, in fact, relate to things like what we call abusive charity gifting tax schemes. These are schemes where you put in like $10 and you get a $100 receipt. Uh, usually involves uh, pharmaceuticals from, you know, India and valuing them at a you know, you bought them for 50 grand, but let's say they're worth 100 million because in New York City or in Toronto, that's what you'd pay 100 million for those containers of pills. So, you know, there's all these sort of scheming that's going on. And so there are changes that affect that. But for your average charity, the amount of changes is, is limited. Um, there's a little bit, I'll just give an example of one change over the last year. There's a few questions that have been added to the T3010 relating to political activities. So the vast majority of charities don't do any political activities, but for those who do, they need to make sure that they complete those extra questions that are on the T3010. But if you look at your 990 form in the U.S., which is a pretty complicated, extensive form with a lot of exactly. information on Very it, well, right. our one is 10% um, as complicated and gives about 10% the information. <laughs> so, uh, so if you're asking me, I don't want your 990, but I'd like more than what we have. And uh, But meanwhile, there's a lot of people who don't want the government asking any information of charities. But I think that that's a a, um, a recipe for a disaster where if charities are largely viewed as secret societies, that has its own downside, right? So, yes, we, we have little incremental changes, nothing too exciting um, here in Canada. But um, the, the interesting thing has just been, like, for example, MasterCard, when they had to look around the world and work out where are they going to put their foundation to operate internationally, you know, they decided uh, to use Canada. So MasterCard Foundation is based in Toronto. And there's a lot of organizations setting up in Canada because it's a good place to operate from. It's a good environment. And, um, and there's a lot, you know, so a lot of good things. And uh, so, yeah, things seem to be going quite well here in Canada. And, um, and uh, yeah. So that that's just uh, some thoughts in terms of. That's great. Of, uh, well, Peter, thank you yeah. for your uh, for your question, and Mark, thank you for your answer. Just a quick update uh, for everyone: grab your calendars. Um, as you heard earlier, uh, the uh, fantastic Susan Raymond will be here on the Nonprofit Coach, uh, talking about rapid economic change uh, next week here on the Nonprofit Coach. September 24th, 12 noon Eastern. Uh, following that, we'll be live from the BBCon conference uh, 2012. That will start at 1230 Eastern. Uh, note the time change. It will be a 90-minute show, on, and that's on October 1st. And immediately following that is uh, one of the most popular shows we ever hear, have here on the Nonprofit Coach, 
Penelope Burke will be back with her annual What Donors Want, What They Do and What They Think. Uh, that's going to be on October 8th at 12 noon Eastern. Uh, before I let you go, Mark, how can my uh, listeners reach you? Uh, Ted, if they want to reach us, uh, if they go to my globalphilanthropy.ca website, our contact information is there, and um, they can reach me at marketbloombergs.ca. It's all on the globalphilanthropy.ca website. Okay? That's terrific. And at globalphilanthropy.ca, we do have a link to that today at tedhart.com over in the radio links. Mark, thank you so much for uh, being my guest here on the Nonprofit Coach. did a fantastic job. We all learned so much more about Canada, Canadians, and philanthropy. Thank you, Ted, for having me. I really appreciate it. We'll be right back here next week with the AFP Wiley radio show here on the Nonprofit Coach. You've been listening to the Nonprofit Coach radio show with Ted Hart. Tell all your friends to check out our production schedule and download our iPod and iPad-friendly podcast at tedhart.com. Thanks for listening to The Nonprofit Coach. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.